genre. Previously on Legacy Door. What brings you here with school in session? I was looking in on some friends in town and then getting things clean before seeing my family up in Lake Forest tomorrow. You don't want to be the college kid who shows up with a bag of laundry? She gave me a full smile, which was a gracious gift. The teeth were, of course, perfect. Yeah, and it's my dad's birthday, so all kinds of people will be there dressed up. You are going home and telling your mom to cancel that rental. Work, 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 then have a good night's sleep. Wake up early and get fancy. I'll pick you up at 10, and we'll take a drive up to Lake Forest. Legacy Door, Episode 1.5, Recollections. Sunday, October 8th, 2017. Daniel Lutcher, 10.01 a.m. Seeing the ride, Dan could confirm that it was as sweet as advertised, an orange Cadillac convertible with the top down on an unseasonably warm morning. But in his opinion, the arm candy was, contrary to Jerry's ranking, sweeter, in a layered white diaphanous dress that accented the subtle brown in her skin. It flirted with formality while giving her full freedom of movement. Large sunglasses accessorized an air of mystery. Her hair, done up under a crimson kerchief, was the one element that didn't quite fit for Dan, a little too 1940s. Joyce noticed him noticing her one imperfection. It's to keep my hair from getting buggy on the drive. It'll come off when we get there. Cool, replied Dan, seizing the rare opportunity to enter a car by swinging his legs over the door. He carried a small, colorful gift bag with handles tied by a ribbon. Dan put it at his feet, hoping he'd remember not to step on it and crush the spinach pies within. The car took off like a shot, pushing Dan back against his seat as he buckled in. Joyce displayed a special grin of freedom as the fuel in the car created energy that propelled them ahead of the pollutants it spewed behind, even as she breathed the exhaust of the cars up ahead. So I'm assuming you weren't driving at 14. You got Google Maps or something? Dan pulled a handwritten note from the inner pocket of his gray jacket and held it up, flapping in the warm breeze as the car accelerated onto a bigger street. More like Google Mom. Joyce gave him a dark look. That was unworthy of you. Dan smiled. Sorry. For some jokes, anger was higher praise than laughter. Or at least of me. You're in the big leagues now. You have to step up your game. I'll try to do better. She took a moment to give him a smile, then turned back to the road. So tell me about these people. Were you ever close? Saw them a fair amount when I was a kid. Three, four, five times a year. Then what happened? Asked Joyce. Polite lies came to the tip of Dan's tongue, but he decided dishonesty really would be unworthy. It's a little complicated. Yeah, I'm remembering that now. Brenda told you about it? She told me there had been some kind of thing and that it wasn't her place to tell me the details. Dan nodded, intensely curious as to what would have caused Brenda to bring up the subject. And I figure it's not my place to tell you why she mentioned it. Fair enough. Joyce returned her eyes to the road. But now, you're here, I'm here, I'm gonna meet them soon, you guys have me curious. How about it? Dan inhaled and looked at passing buildings for inspiration. He'd told it once, he decided, he could tell it again. And Joyce seemed like the rare someone who would find it interesting while having the discretion and decency to keep it to herself. Okay. Here goes. 
Since you'll want the family dynamics, I'm going to start way back at the beginning, okay? Long as you finish before we get there. Should be able. Okay. My mom was Gina DeNovo. Uh, she says hi, by the way. Hi back, responded Joyce with real feeling. She had always gotten along well with Dan's mom, and Gina had brightened so much to hear Dan was bringing Joyce to the party that it rewoke Dan's long suspicion that she preferred Joyce to Brenda. The car slowed as they left Lakeshore Drive for the long slog up Sheridan Road. Dan was glad to be able to lower his voice a little. My dad's name was Thomas, Tom. My Aunt Therese was his little sister, maybe two years younger. Got it. So they each got some sort of scholarship to go to the U of C. Dad met Mom at Student Health when he had an ear infection. Therese met my Uncle Arthur in art class. Arthur had money even back then and was a few years older, so he threw a lot of parties with good free booze, which brought in the art crowd. Right, your aunt was an artist. Yeah, photography mostly. Cool, go on. So my mom and dad hung around with them too sometimes. And after mom and dad graduated, well, dad and Arthur went in as partners on a restaurant and bar. American food, kind of beat Nikki. They called it the pantry. The pantry in Old Town? Yeah, you ever there? No, before my time. But people on the scene still talk about hanging out there with this one and that one. Yeah. Seemed like the place about broke even in good times. And Arthur loaned it money in bad. Dad was always trying to pay him back, but it never quite worked out. So he was in deeper and deeper. Dan took a moment to remember his father's face. Generally worried, generally trying to not let on. Joyce turned her head, looking curious, which prompted Dan to continue his story. So anyway, Arthur and Therese married right after she graduated, and Mom and Dad did too, that same year. Then the next year, me and my cousin Vanessa came along. And then the trouble starts. Okay. I don't know the details, but Therese got hostile to Arthur. Things got tense, and then, when we were four it must have been, she grabbed Vanessa and took off. They lived on the road with Teresa's high school boyfriend for a while, weeks or months. I'm sure there's a whole lot they never told me, and I imagine Mom and Dad were stuck in the middle. But one night, Therese and Jeff, that's the boyfriend, drove into a tree on their way to pick up Vanessa from a sitter. Both of them died. Huh. Anyone suspect Arthur? Uh... Nobody said it to me, that's for sure. Just something about how they'd been drinking. Arthur must have had lawyers and detectives after her, but I don't know. He always seemed really hung up on remembering her. He kept photos of her all over the place. Would someone do that if he killed her? Probably not. So, back to what you do know. Yeah. So, Arthur got Vanessa back. And a little bit later, he married my Aunt Sandra. I think her family and his were old friends. She already had a son, Graham, who's a couple years younger than me and Vanessa. Was she a widow, divorcee, single mom? No idea, come to think of it. Said Dan, puzzled at his own incuriosity. Though I really can't picture her as a single mom. She's not exactly stuck up, but she's full of propriety. And Graham was always Graham Dorn to me, no other last name. Good to know. Yeah. Then, Sandra and Arthur had two kids together. My cousins, Julia and Kevin, twins. 
Oh, good. More names. I was getting bored with all these Protestant one-child families. And so you were all kids together? Yeah. After Therese died. I mean, I'm not sure what things were like before then. I can barely remember her, other than she was really pretty. Tense. And nice to me. But after Arthur married Sandra, there were visits back and forth, mostly to them. The dads would go off together to talk business, and the moms would watch us play. Like they do. Yeah. Though it also seems like maybe mom didn't want to be alone with Aunt Sandra. They never fought, but I, I don't know. Not much spark. Beyond talking about us. Could be I'm just making it up. Never admit that. You're a professional observer, last I checked. Granted. Thanks. Said Dan with a shy smile. Okay, then that's definitely what was going on. So, when we kids were together, Ven and I were co-leaders because we were the oldest. Wait, Ven? Yeah, short for- Shouldn't it be Van? Oh, Aunt Therese wanted to spell it V-E-N, and Uncle Arthur went along with it. Ven complained about always having to spell it out, but she never talked about changing it. Gotcha. Okay. Go on. You and Ven were the leaders? Yeah. But we never got along. How not? She'd ignore me, get mad really fast, always took the opposite side if there was a you kids decide type thing. Okay, yeah, I can picture not getting along, but why? Dan almost said he didn't know, but buoyed by her professional observer comment, he speculated. Well, the younger cousins were always wild to see me and mom, for whatever reason, and had us come up with stuff to do. Which was probably Ven's job when we weren't there, so she probably felt infringed. And I maybe got drunk with power and tested my popularity a few times. Little demagogue Dan! That was me. He said. Then he paused, his mind shying away from what came next, focusing instead on his surroundings. The street was turning more suburban, the houses more widely spaced. After another curious look from Joyce, he finally continued... Okay, so I guess I've been stretching things out to avoid this part. My dad died. Someone stabbed him in the alley right behind his restaurant after he closed up for the night. Oh, wow. Sorry. Yeah. Dan took a breath and decided not to mention the phone calls, the news, the rumors. So, there was a big fancy funeral which I imagine Arthur paid for. And us kids were there, all dressed up. I was 14. That sucks. Yeah. And I was taking it really bad. Really bad. I mean, I loved my dad. Looked up to him. But it was more. Like someone had sucked the energy out of the whole world. Like I was in a movie and the background music was off. I felt like I was going crazy. I had terrible nightmares, but I kept it to myself. Of course. Of course? I mean, go on. Okay. So, the funeral is halfway done, and I just have to get out of there. So I stand up, head for the bathroom, which was downstairs. Now, this was a big funeral home, and there was a door open to a hallway that well, it really had that old basement look. Like, up to the door, it was all immaculate and tasteful, but beyond that, very employees only. Cool. I've got a picture. 
So I wander down the hallway, and there's a big room off it with dingy and battered fancy chairs, cushion benches, tarnished urns, all kinds of elegant junk, and pale light streaming in through the windows. You know, narrow, high basement windows. Even better picture. Go on. And standing right there in the light, Vanessa, dressed in a navy blue sailor dress, hat, tights, whole thing, facing the windows, looking like a painting. Interesting. Interesting to Dan, too, as it indicated that Brenda had not told Joyce this part. So I walked in, said something brilliant like, Fen! Then stopped, opened my mouth to say more, but couldn't figure out what. It was all coming back to Dan in a torrent, more than he could or would describe. There'd been a rushing in his ears, like the music had been turned back on, or maybe it was just blood. So she turned, and I swear, without taking a moment to look at me, she stepped up, threw her arms around my neck, and kissed me. Joyce took advantage of a red light to study Dan for a moment. Go on. Dan was trying to sort out a rush of memories, both by chronology and by what to tell. It felt really nice, but it was also a pretty big shock. So I pushed her arms away and said, <laughs> I said, I didn't think you liked me. Ah, boys and girls. Did she tell you to shut up? No, she shut me up by kissing me again. And more. She had put his hand on top of her breast, which communicated a warmth and softness through the fabric which he could still feel, and a moment later he and she were somehow on one of the benches, his hand on her stockinged knee. Joyce noted the lapse in Dan's narrative. Should we dim the lights on this scene? Uh, not necessary. About the time I was completely lost in making Outland, there was a voice. Dan's own voice became raspier, harsher. A pretty picture from one way of looking at it. Very ugly one from another. Like most of existence. He could remember his blood freezing at the sound. What the fuck? It was my Uncle Frank, said Dan, trying and failing to sound casual. Therese and Dad's older brother. Dan and Vanessa had instinctively set up and returned their hands to themselves. Dan had started to stand and said, to no one in particular, I should check on Mom. Frank, however, was not having it. He lurched out of the shadows, a gaunt man with unruly graying hair and a suit his body couldn't fill out, brown overcoat over it, and ragged fedora in his gesturing hand. Frank's voice sat Dan back down. Quiet. I don't think you've shown much expertise in the area of what you should or should not be doing. Reflect for a moment. Think about where you are and what day this is. Vanessa's face had contorted in a futile effort to stop herself from sobbing. Her smooth hand gripped the front edge of the bench, right next to Dan. Dan knew he should say something, or do something, hold her hand, or tell her it was all right, or tell Frank to leave her alone, but he didn't do anything. He thought that, if he did nothing, maybe Frank would think there was nothing between them and go away. Dan looked away from her, but could feel her suffering need, even as Frank's bright eyes repulsed him. But even so, he couldn't look at her. He kept his eyes on the ground, even as he knew that this was a betrayal, a far bigger sin than what they'd been caught doing. Good. I see that you're thinking. 
And now, since my brother and sister are already here, watching you, I don't see the need to tell anyone else about this. None of their business, really. I am the only adult of our blood left, so it is up to me to lay down the law. And here it is. Frank was right in their faces now. Do what thou wilt, and then live in the world you create. Frank closed his eyes and laughed then. It didn't sound to Dan like the arch laugh of a villain, more the involuntary chuckle of someone who sees the comedy in his own tragedy. Frank shook his head and walked off. Dan remained frozen. Frank looked back at them once, and the laughter intensified. It continued, slowly growing fainter from the hallway, the rear staircase, and finally the service exit. Now at last, Dan looked over at Vanessa. She was staring at the ground, hyperventilating. Ven? Are you okay? She stared at her feet, not meeting his eyes. Then she kicked off her shoes, picked them up off the stone floor, and ran out towards the front stairs. He remembered every detail of her exit. She'd been composed, graceful, and panicked all at once. Your Uncle Frank? asked Joyce, her voice breaking in on the memory. You said he was the crazy one. Dan took a moment to mentally rewind back to where he'd left Joyce. The houses and lawns were getting bigger around them. Long, dormant childhood instincts told him they were getting close. Frank, yeah. He was a weird character. Tall, skinny, gray. Dressed like an old movie. Just scary looking. Always saying spooky stuff. Spooky how? Unreal. Just not the way people talk. Looking back, I guess he thought he was a mystic or philosopher or something. Mom and Dad never wanted to talk about him. He did a job on Ven and me, though, I can tell you. Yow. What did you do? Nothing. Stared at the doorway, trying not to piss my pants. I watched Ven run away. Yeek. Yeah. So... By the time I moped back up to the ceremony, it was over, and Vanessa and her family were gone. Mom hugged me a lot, but didn't say anything about it. So I'm guessing you and Vanessa never picked up where you left off. I never saw her again. In fact, I never got invited up to the house again, until now. Wow. So you think word got out? That was my guess. Vanessa had even more reason to hate me. And even if she didn't, if I were Arthur and I had any inkling, I wouldn't want me hanging around. Hmm. So that's the end of the story. Dan put up a finger. Almost. Aunt Sandra showed up at our place a few times with the boys, and we'd go to a museum or the zoo or to a game. Mom put a lot of effort into keeping that going, but it petered out. After that, it was just phone calls and cards for Christmas, and then that tapered off to checks in the mail for special stuff like books and college. And that's the end. Not a bang, but a whimper. And you with your scars. Pretty much. The nightmares I'd been having since Dad died got weirder for a few weeks. But then they settled down. Until they came back Friday night, he thought. And thoughts of Vanessa back with them. He had no doubt that she'd been a formative factor in the knots at the core of his sexual being, but he had sometimes gone months without thinking about her. 
Maybe, he theorized, as things with Brenda unraveled, those knots had been exposed. Not very novelistic. Hey, I'm a journalist. We put the good stuff in the first paragraph and assume people won't reach the end. But today there's a new story. Yep. Said Dan and pointed to the right. And that's the place. Jeez. It's just like I remember it. And so it was. The tall white house, the lawn, the gardens, the hedges and sculptures where the kids had been allowed to hide and seek as long as they were careful, though Dan was always against it because Vanessa was much better at it than he was. The lots on either side had tall, high-tech-looking fences Dan didn't remember, but the Dorn house still had the old, low black one of heavily weathered iron with a hand-operated gate. They pulled up to the gate. It stood open, and a tall, thirty-ish man with a clipboard wearing a subtle uniform that looked custom-tailored to his muscular build. Dan was sure he'd never seen him at the house before. Welcome, the man said as they approached, the gold name tag at his breast reading Alphonse. Your name? Daniel Lutcher and guest. Of course, said Alphonse, not consulting the clipboard. Welcome back, sir. Justin Brandt, 10.53 a.m. When I got to the softball game, I had a little agenda beyond the usual competition and looking good. And yes, of course, it had to do with Vanessa Dorn. I'd held to my internal bargain, like the honorable professional I am. I'd googled, and then put her out of my mind. Saw music with Jaina that night. Renewed my acquaintance with her friends, had a great time, and did my best to make sure everyone else did too. But this morning was my morning, and I decided to treat myself to a deeper dig. The quick Google had assured me that Arthur Dorn was very rich. Probably quite a bit richer than Jonathan Strauss. If nothing else, he flaunted it more, taking the lead in all sorts of enterprises, for profit and not. But though money made just about everything more interesting, as far as I was concerned, that wasn't what drew my eye, so much as what light it cast on Vanessa. I wasn't looking to trade up to Vanessa as an SO, any more than I was looking to trade up to Arthur as a client. In either case, I might have said yes if offered, but with a sense of not knowing what I was doing with either of them. I just needed closure on exactly how she walked the earth unheralded, to find someone else to confirm my opinions about her. And as it happened, one of the people we'd be playing against that day was John O., who had done some work for Arthur Dorn during what seemed like it would have been Vanessa's last worker bee summer before starting law school. While I waited to bat and he was sitting on a rise and the grass subbed out, I walked over. Hey, I was talking to a sharp law student the other day and she mentioned some work you guys did. Lying? Yes. When I'm not under oath or talking in the context of an exclusive relationship, I have been known to do that. Oh, yeah? He said, watching the game more than me. Yeah, you did an acquisition for Arthur Dorn? I didn't push it, I just let it fall. Um, yeah, sure. He said, engaging the subject, but minimally. Couple years ago, did, uh, did she work on that for us? I don't think so, she's his daughter. That was it. My part was done. Now, if my perception of her was on point, he'd have one kind of reaction... If not, another. Oh, he said. Her, the older daughter, right? I've met her. Yeah, she was just about to start law school, but I think she was gone by the time I did the actual work. Oh, sure. 
Maybe her dad filled her in. What did she have to say? Now he was the one trying to look and sound casual, happily married, though he was. Oh, just something about law school being tough. But there were a few lawyers she met, and she wanted to be like them, and that keeps her going. And you were on the list. Huh. Well, that's sweet. Thanks for passing it along. I smiled back. The world was as I thought it was. Normally, there would have been a hitch in that conversation along the lines of, Daughter, I thought you said law student. But John had made note of her, even though she wasn't very relevant to his work, and had retained her details. Maybe he stole the opportunity to talk shop with her as I had. And he remembered her for two years plus. That was the kicker. A lot of lawyers have good memories, but we have to prioritize. There's just too damn much to retain. But his memories of apparently trivial and casual meetings with her were still readily accessible. Now, if he'd been Dorn's primary lawyer, doing family-oriented stuff like estate planning, then her identity would have been part of the job, and his vivid recall wouldn't have meant as much. Speaking of which, she also mentioned Shada Alipur, I added, embellishing my made-up story. That was Arthur Dorn's primary lawyer, a senior partner at John O's firm. Oh yeah, she would. Shada's the one who brought me in. She's actually doing OT up at the Dorn place today. Oh really? I thought. An overtime house call on a Sunday. Just what a rich client might expect, and pay through the nose for. Well, fortuitously, I had something to contribute there. Is she up there for the birthday party? Huh? Oh, yeah. That's right, there's a party. He nodded, hopefully adjusting his measure of my acquaintance with the Dorns. He made a short laugh, then raised his hand, palm towards himself, lifted two fingers, and twiddled them back and forth between our faces. I leaned closer, even though no one could hear us anyway. The privacy of whatever he was about to say would be protected by no law, but the bro code of events like this meant I would do what I could to keep it to myself, or else never get such a secret again. Between us, whatever he's got her doing, she's pretty hot about it. And not just because it's on a Sunday with zero notice. I nodded knowingly, then took a guess based on the timing. Something with his estate? He looked a little cautious, but answered anyway. That's my guess. Some crazy bequest to somebody. Families, huh? They'll drive you crazy, but what are you going to do? I shared the nod and saw the guy before me in the order hit a fly that would make the third out. The fielders began to run in and it was time for me to run out. But as I nodded back at John, I could see that the mention of family had activated something. Hey, didn't I hear that you took over that Strauss thing from Herndon? Yeah, I added, and slowly blew a whole lungful of air through pursed lips to indicate what a handful it was. Ask me in a few months. I'll have some stories. You have been listening to Legacy Door, Episode 1.5, Recollections. Jamie Gosling was the primary narrator. Michelle Lamone was Joyce Vera. Jamie Wren was Dan Lutcher. John Dre was Justin Brandt. Daniel W. Yee was John O. The opening music was Ethereal Thoughts by Victor Wayne. The closing music is Innovations, also by Wayne. You can hear works by him at Toontank.com. The Legacy Door cover photograph is by Roxana and Nash. This episode's cover image is by Taylor, a.k.a. Taychilla. You can find images by him on Unsplash. 
Next week, we can look forward to our first non-male human POV section as our cast of characters grows. The characters in the story are on a collision course, one they're anticipating but don't see as clearly as we do. And while I'm not above stretching out this kind of tension, the intermingling of plot lines and glimpses of future developments will become more substantial in next week's episode, Pieces. To say your piece, yep, I'm doing that again, we are Legacy Door Novel on Twitter and Facebook. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is an abridged version of the novel Legacy Door, available in Kindle or paperback from Amazon, and as an audiobook from many retailers, including Audible. It was made possible by Dueling Genre Productions. You can find out more information about Legacy Door at our website, LegacyDoor.wordpress.com. That includes family trees, which, as you might guess, are increasingly helpful as this goes along. And in fact, last episode, there was a hidden plot detail that a family tree would unlock for you. Special thanks to the podcast People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos for helping cross-promote our show. And we're glad to share a cosmos of cosmic horror with them. Legacy Door is copyright 2021 by Bob J. Kester, all rights reserved. This is Bob J. Kester. Goodbye. Dueling Genre.